and welcome to Serenity in Leadership's series on leading responsibly with integrity and purpose. A series dedicated to conversations with people who are shining examples of this kind of leadership. I'm Tom Dennis, the CEO of Serenity in Leadership. And today I'm delighted to welcome Ray Arata to the podcast. Ray is the founder of the Better Man Movement which works to engage men in intersectional allyship to create an inclusive culture. Ray has spent 20 years plus as a sought after keynote speaker, coach and business leader, and is an author of three exceptional books. Welcome Ray to the podcast. Thank you, it's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> so I, I, I'm interested, what, what first made you become sort of involved at, um, and I think as passionate as you are in, in this field. I have to give credit where credit's due. It was actually my first wife who asked for a divorce that had me uh, examine, had it forced me to examine my behavior as a man. And somewhere in that same time frame, my manager at a financial services firm um, called me out of my behavior. So it, what was happening at home was happening at work. And uh, for whatever reason, I decided to listen and accept the invitation from my manager in the financial services firm to do a men's retreat, which in, in short version was a, an initiation into healthy masculinity that had me look how the pained little boy in me was driving the adult bus and impacting those around me. And that kind of set me out on my journey. I created a mission of service for myself started going to men's groups, started leading men's weekends. And that's where I started cutting my teeth. And I mean, to date, I'm somewhere near 15,000 hours of working with men. But what that really had me see as I was starting to listen to men and women articulate in business, similar issues, there was a real need for uh, this, this type of work. I just didn't know that the men's work that I was doing had an application in diversity, equity, and inclusion. And when I met a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant who said, Ray, you sound and look like a lot of men in corporate America. Um, they need to hear from you. But first, I want you to go to a women's leadership event, and you'll probably be the only guy there. She said, just go and, and listen. So I went, and I was the only guy there, except for one guy on stage. And that's when it hit me all those times my mom shared growing up that her older brother got all the opportunities because he was a male. He went to college. He played sports. My mom played sports. And uh, my wife is the oldest in an Italian family in San Francisco, whose youngest brother was running the business. And finally, my daughter was going to be graduating from Duke with a degree in computer science. So in that moment, I kind of realized somebody needs to do something. Somebody needs to do something. Well, maybe that somebody is me. And I had this kooky idea to advance healthy masculinity into the leadership conversation. And so I reached out to a couple of people I knew in corporate America and, and told them I had this idea. I wanted to start this conference. And they backed me. And with that, the Better Man Conference in 2016 was born. Michael Kimmel came uh, Don McPherson, uh, a man of color, retired uh, NFL quarterback, Heisman Trophy guy, just a bunch of different people from all walks of life. Uh, I had met Cheryl Sandberg, the founder of Lean In, backstage at 
uh, Michael Kimmel's International Masculinities Conference, and I told her what I was up to. So she sent her president, who did a talk. And here we are, seven years later, 16 conferences later, and somewhere in there, right during COVID, I realized it was at the prompting of my coach, it was time to write my second book, which is showing up how men can become effective allies in the workplace. And it's been acclaimed positively. And now I'm using it as a curriculum driver for a lot of companies. And it, that's, that's, kind of, that's the short story of how I got into this work. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Um, what, what are the trends? What's, what's happening? You know, I think my sense is that there's been really quite a backlash um, and uh, a lot of the initiatives. I, I mean, I, I talk to lots of DEI uh, people and so many of them are, I mean, they don't have any budget. It's like organizations say, yes, we'll, we'll, we, you know, we'll be good citizens and we'll, we'll have a DEI person, but, but we won't give them any budget. And they're, they're normally very low down in the pecking order. I mean, it, yeah. is, is that your sense of this? And, and what's changing? What's causing this? Uh, so that is my sense. And what's changing? I'm changing and I'm adapting. And what I mean by that is um, if you talk to any commonsensical person, the situations inside companies haven't changed. Companies still want to win the war on talent. They still want to keep their good people and they are aware. And if not, they're being made aware that a lot of men, the majority of men hold leadership positions. And with that said, the noise, the backlash, if you will, it's coming from not the majority, but the minority of the majority. And for whatever reason, the minority have the microphone right now. So one must learn how to tune out the noise and so while I saw this, the DEI budget decimation, as I call it, while I saw it coming, I was writing blogs in the fall to leaders, anyone who's going to listen, don't abdicate, advocate. And for whatever reason, we, we are where we are. And so what I started doing was I started just doing an end around and seeking out talking to leaders. And if I talked to DEI folk, I said, We've got to talk to that one male leader who gets it, who's courageous enough, who knows the importance of this work. And let's get on, let's get on the phone and let's, let's talk. And so the three signed SOWs that I have right now are a result of that. Leaders who care, right? Yeah. And so um, I see that coming. And so, and so the, the, the sub trend uh, that I saw going on all last year, a lot of my women of color friends in DEI positions were reaching out to me, asking me to come in and speak to their white male leaders. So the trend that I'm stepping into is the context of conversation. As much as I'd love to lead trainings, people need to talk. And, you know, it, it's become increasingly difficult for all of us to, to, to be in conversation with each, with each other because of the polarization and who's missing from the conversation men. So a lot of the work I'm doing lately is facilitated conversations and the better, the better man conference has evolved to the better together conference, which is going to be in joint partnership with Jennifer Brown consulting. And it's going to be over the course of two days. 
virtual only, mainly so that we can increase access in light of budget constraints. And we are going to focus on allyship on one day, leadership on another, tool development, if you will, on the first day, and roll up your sleeves and with a smaller group of folk. And I think the most expensive sponsorship level is like 25 grand. So we're really doing our part to create the arena for conversations, to bring people back together. Yeah. Because that's what needs to happen. So holistically, that's kind of how I'm viewing what's going on out there and, and what we're doing. Right. Yeah. It sounds very positive. And I'm I'm really happy that to hear that because it's it's very much um what we're trying to do. I mean uh in in you know we're uh, approaching organizations to offer to speak well to bring men together because there's there's every minority group you can think of in organizations and actually there's nothing for men <laughs> and although no, they're, no. They're the, the majority they 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 still need a space in which they can explore how they're feeling because everything's sort of clammed up inside them at the moment. And that's causing a lot of yeah. the pushback, I think. Um, so uh, uh, there's there, a lot of people talk about toxic masculinity. Um, and indeed, some people talk about toxic femininity. Um, how comfortable are you with these terms? And uh, are, are there better ways to look at it? Yeah, good, good question. Um, I'm not using the word toxic anymore. I'm using the word unhealthy. Unhealthy masculinity as opposed to healthy masculinity. And, you know, if if I think, if you think about this stuff, and I think about it all the time, um, toxic is a, is a label. It's a, it's a modifier, if you will, that depending on who's using it can mean any one of a number of things. And so, that's why I, I, I've, I'm the, I've probably the guy that introduced healthy masculinity into the space seven or eight years ago. And healthy masculinity, to me, is an inside job. So it's, it, it's not, it's not, doesn't, you know, somebody, I was talking to Michael Pritchard, he's a retired stand-up comedian, youth motivator, and him and I are going to be doing an event in a couple of weeks. And I, I said, Michael, so what do you think about the word woke? And he laughed and he said, woke doesn't belong to the left. It doesn't belong to the right. It has historical or spiritual overtone uh, origins. And it has to do with awaken. Mm. So, and, and when I talked to somebody yesterday, I asked them what they thought the term, it was a younger person, what the term woke meant. And by the end of the conversation, yes, they were using the term and it came from the right and when i said listen to awaken as a person to become aware of yourself your language to be connected to your heart and to be responsible for all that has nothing to do with part what party you belong to so the word woke has been um it's it's been weaponized mm -hmm. and if i'm not mistaken i remember in the uk when i was going to be doing some work in the UK and I was told don't use the word woke <laughs> because of how it's being used in the UK. And so I, I just share that because 
the work I've always been focused on is to awaken people. Mm. If you're from the right, you're from the left, wake up, <laughs> right? Be, be, be aware and be responsible for your language. Be aware of your position. Be aware of your privilege, right? And let's, let's do away with this weaponized word woke mm. or whatever that's worth. Maybe that's an indirect answer to your question, but that's my answer and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> yeah. Words are so powerful. And that they have yes, to, they are. We, we have to we have to be conscious in the way that we use them. I think there's a lot of careless use of language today. And as you say, it's very easy to weaponize it. So yeah. uh, certainly in this country, politically, it's it's very much favored to, to shame and blame people um, mm -hmm. because they think that somehow that's going to have an effect. But from your point of view, how important is it not to shame and blame men in order to get them to engage when, <laughs> when well, engage, engage in a, in, a, in a conversation? So I have a lot of men's work in my background, leading 57 plus men's weekends, going into maximum security prisons. So I consider myself an expert on men and I teach men five core emotions mad sad glad fear and shame and shame is a biggie with respect to men a lot of men carry shame and for those of your listeners uh, a quick lesson on shame there's healthy shame which is i'm human i screwed up you know and i'll be a little crass here for a sec but in the elevator if, if you accidentally pass gas that's a human moment right Healthy shame, we can we can all get past it. Toxic shame, I'm going to use toxic in a different yeah. uh, uh, way here, is when we personalize it and we believe ourselves to be bad. A lot of men carry shame, and it's a lot of until they do personal work from and deal with stuff that happened growing up. That shame lives in a lot of men, and the reason why I'm telling you all of this is because if I shame or blame men they're going to go right into shutdown i'm going to put them back into their their wounds if you will and so one of my monikers is no shame no blame so whether you're from the left or for the right or whatever i'm going to seek to meet you where you are i'm going to try and find a, a middle ground so that's a, a lot of the work i'm seeking to do lately is to try and be inclusive of everybody now there's the naysayers they're the ones who don't want to be convinced. I'm not going to bother convincing them. I'll try and connect to them. But if if they're not um, open to hearing and connecting and listening to other points of view, there's no point. So that's my my stick on shame. Mm, yeah, it's an enormously powerful. and a lot of men feel a lot of white men a lot of white men feel blamed and shamed. Yeah. Yeah. So looking at it from a different angle, how can gender equality make you a better and happier man? So speaking just for myself, um, the whole idea of gender equality, gender equity, equal opportunity, it's a question I pose to men when I lead trainings, like why should you care? Why should you care about gender equality? 
And the answers I typically hear range from, it makes uh, a better world for my daughters, for my wife, for my mother, for my sister, for my female colleagues, or um, when there's equality, there's more perspective, or I don't have to do all the work all the time. All the load and the responsibility is not on me all the time so I can share the power. So there's a lot of reasons. Those are my reasons, right? Gender equality makes me a better human being uh, and a better leader because any, any woman around me feels safe, can trust me. And when she feels like that, she's going to bring her full self forward. And that's in our workplace. That's what we want. Yeah. And yet there's so many men who stand in the way of that. What, 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 yep. what, what, what is it? What is it that's getting in the way? I mean, I put it down to fear. But <laughs> so fear is part of it. Um, and, and fear outwardly looks like control. Um, it's not understanding. It's unconsciousness. It's ego. Yeah. So how many men do you know that may have no idea what it's like to walk around in the shoes of a woman? A lot of guys. That doesn't make them bad, right? Um, or if 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 they have a nice position in a company and everything's great for them, why rock the boat? Yes, exactly. Out of sight, out of mind. <laughs> right? Right? Yes, so yes. then there's the ones that are like, are so sexist that believe that a woman has no place, you know, this is no place for a woman. Those guys aren't going to be convinced. They're either going to self-select in or self-select out. So, you know, it's most of the stuff that's in the way is internal. Now, at a company, you can have systemic issues that make it very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. And that a, a wise and courageous CEO can seek to undo. Like yeah. my friend Mike Kaufman, the former CEO of Cardinal Health, a Fortune 20 company. Yeah. He went at it head on. Yeah. yeah. I talk about it in my book. That's what we, that's why we need courageous leaders. That's right. That's right. Um, and the, the Latin derivative of courageous is core, which is from the heart. Yeah. So anybody that knows me knows I'm all about the heart. Or put another way, I'm just trying to humanize men. So most men, a lot of men are in pain, you know? <laughs> in pain, did you say? Yeah. 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 In pain, buried in pain, alone, you know, emotions stuffed. You know, I'm not, it's, I'm not saying that they're victims because and, and men have been victimized, but be that as it may, all, with all the men's work I've done, I can't tell you how much pain pain i've seen mm. so the, and when these men go through a weekend and begin to heal it's a whole different deal for them yeah yeah and, and i've seen that healing uh, in some of the men's um workshops I, i've been on um 
it, it yeah. is extraordinary that that release um and yes. how yeah. you can get an extraordinary level of of permission in a group um which i think an awful lot of men have never experienced um it, no. just, it gives it gives yeah. them an opportunity to explore what it means to be a man so you you talk um you talk about heart-based leadership. You've just touched on it. Can you explain a bit more about what that is and why it's so important in the years going forward? Yeah. I have six principles that I call the, are the cornerstones of heart-based leadership. Emotional literacy, also known as EQ, but emotional literacy, I think, is more accurate. And what I mean by that is actually having a relationship with your emotions and understanding that your emotions reside in your body and that you can feel them, you can heal them and that you don't stuff them and go straight to your head and stay in a protective stance. A lot of guys do that. That's the first one. The second one is vulnerability, which I believe is all about courage and showing yourself, taking a risk, emotional exposure. Third is authenticity. In the corporate world, you can be performative and people will see right through it, or you can be the, be who you are, be the real you. Fourth is accountability. That's about taking responsibility for your words, choices, and actions and their consequences, intended or not. Fifth is inclusivity. And sixth is love. And a lot of times people ask me, so why do you have love on there? And I said, because when you see, hear, value respect somebody for who they are that's love and so imagine as a leader if you can see your people who for who they are respect them listen to them for who they are they'll do anything for you mm. and it's this is to me this is the secret sauce that leaders don't get taught men step right into the command and control trap and that's not how you engender trust no. And that's not how people are going to follow you. Yeah. Well, we are very much of the same mind. I've, I've been saying over and over that the leadership skills that have got us to where we are now are absolutely not the leadership skills that are going to take us forward because yeah. they're the ones that have created the, the, the kind of mindsets and the, the, the entrenchment that makes things yeah. so difficult right now. Yes. Uh, so t t talk to me about accountability. Is, is accountability an ally's superpower? <laughs> um, yeah, I would say so. Um, you know, accountability in conjunction with privilege. I mean, I've, I'm, you're making me think about blogs and talks I've done in the past where I've talked about the dynamic duo of accountability and, and privilege it's and accountability is if, if you're a leader and it's happening on your watch, you have to ask yourself, what do I have to do with this? Am I contributing to the negative outcome? If so, I got to stop. And am I, and what am I committed to? Am I committed to inclusion and equality? If so, what am I committed to do to do something different? Well, if I have loads of privilege 
I can ask and answer all of those questions and use my position to affect change. Now the pool of male leaders begins to shrink because they're worried about what other people think. They're worried about backlash from other men. They're, they're bored, whatever the case may be, or they, they don't see a clear line. So I would absolutely positively say that accountability is a superpower. And a lot of people really don't understand accountability to the level I've learned in, in men's work because what happens in real life is with respect to accountability is people make agreements and then they break agreements. And a lot of people aren't aware that oftentimes a shadow belief that they have about themselves, like I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy, drives the bus and they, in a millisecond moment, they make themselves more important. And that sends the message to others that they're less important and accountability crumbles. Or put in a different context, uh, if somebody experiences a microaggression, and they come to you and they say, what you said or did landed on me negatively. If you say to them, I didn't mean that, which would be speaking to your intent, you're going to bury yourself deeper into a hole. The accountable leader, the accountable ally would say, tell me more. I'm sorry that what I said or did landed on you that way. And I'm going to go do some work on this so I don't stick my foot in my mouth again. So there's a lot of ways we can go with the accountability. We can look at it organizationally from a true leadership perspective or as a person and how it shows up. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's great stuff. That. So, um, can, you, can you give us three tips on where best to start in becoming a workplace intersectional ally? Well... Um, there's loads of books out there um, and at the risk of self-promoting uh, I wrote Showing Up How Men Can Become Effective Allies in the Workplace as a starting point for men to meet them where they are without shame or blame and in the beginning of the book I talk about the five states of men the ones that are uh, feel threatened by DEI the ones that don't feel included, the ones that are afraid to say and do the wrong thing, the ones that want to know what to do, but they don't know what to do, and the few, the proud, the allies in training that are already doing it. And regardless of where you are, I speak to all of those groups. So the book is, is, a, is a great place to start. Um, you can go to bettermanconference.com and sign up for our newsletter. Check out a lot of there's a there's a lot of stuff on there and in the fall we're doing a conference called better together with jennifer brown consulting and we meet organizations who have folks not just men but everybody because this is this is my attempt to bring the inclusion of men into the dei conversation that's what needs to happen yeah. and so i get asked oftentimes by companies can you do a presentation on allyship because we want our people to be better allies. I'm like, sure, no problem, but I need to call attention to the men. They need to be included. So good question, but that that would be the place I, I would start. 
and uh, one other book, my friend Jennifer Brown, she wrote a book uh, called The Ally Continuum. I think that's the name of it. I'm embarrassed. I don't remember the name, but look up the most recent book by Jennifer Brown. Mm. So it is. It's it's about informing informing yourself. Correct, I, and making the commitment. Yeah. Uh, you you talked about vulnerability. I'm I'm curious about that. You know, I was speaking to the CEO of a a, a company, um, and. It, you know, Brene Brown's talked a lot about vulnerability, and I think very effectively. Um, but he said, I, I don't like that Brene Brown, you know, all that vulnerability stuff. Um, and I, I think that's, that's so sad. It, it's like, it's almost shooting the messenger. Um, when yeah. the, the whole concept, I, I mean, I, I can see why it's so dissonant for people. You know, if I'm vulnerable, I'm weak. I can't afford to be weak because uh, everybody will despise me. They won't follow me, uh, and therefore I'll fail. I, I've got to put this this front on that people think that I'm invincible. I'm strong. They've got to, they, they will follow me because they believe in me. I mean, it's all such a it's it's all such a fantasy. How do we break that down a bit? True power. True power is having the ability to stand there exposed showing the world who you are being willing being willing to that's courage that's courage i've heard and i i, I can't recall exactly but somebody told me that american indians or indigenous folk when the when the men would stand around the fire, they would take all of their armor off from different from different tribes as a as a demonstration of vulnerability. Because if they could withstand that, then they were really powerful. Yeah. I've even at the Better Man conference, um, I do a little test. I'll I'll say to the I said to the women in the room, if I let you know that I'm afraid or I don't know the answer or I need some help. Do you trust, because I just admitted that, do you trust me more or less? <laughs> Show of hands, who trusts me more? Hands go up. Yeah. I'm like, guys, take notice. Yeah. Vulnerability engenders trust. So the, 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 the guys that talk like that, deeper truth, they're afraid. And they don't even know it. Yeah, yeah. So they project outwardly an image to protect themselves, which to me sounds like a little boy in an, in an adult body. Yeah. That's just my two cents. And that's what so, biggest you know, and I can see those guys a mile away. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I really think that's one of the biggest problems. I, you know, there's some politicians over here, and, and I, um, one in particular, described as a, He's a he's a ten year old boy running around in a in a in a in a smart suit. Um, and yeah. someone's given him an awful lot of power, and that's why so many things have gone wrong. It's one of the contributors, certainly. Brene Brown's done some great work. I just was I was leading a leader team meeting session up at a company in Bellevue, Washington, and I was introduced to uh, 
the person that runs all of her programs and we're going to, we're going to probably talk. So I have a lot of respect for her. She knows the mankind project, the organization that I did my men's work in. And there's something to be said about men seeing vulnerability modeled by other men, men talking to other men about vulnerability. So I have a sneaking suspicion that Brene and I are going to cross paths someday. Don't know when, but We'll have a lot of good stuff to talk about. <laughs> she's a great researcher. She's a phenomenal person. She's done a lot of great stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a really positive note to 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 finish on, Ray. I I really appreciate your time. Thank you. And and your wisdom and your experience. Um, and I look forward to the day when we're in the same room together. Um, because also I think uh, we we come at these things slightly differently, but you know, there's an awful lot of commonality of thought and passion, actually, and a real will to, to there make a, a difference. So for yeah, you. to me, there's a heart connection. That that's where it's at. That so, regardless of culture, that's where I seek to connect. Mm-hmm. So, thank you for having me uh, on your podcast today. I appreciate it.